We are joined by a special guest. Also, you know, uh, that's been on uh, before. But yeah, me and E.B. are uh, co-hosting this. Uh, we're back on Soul Savviness. And we have a special guest, uh, amazing uh, pianist, worldwide known, just one of the, the greatest uh, fusion sound, uh, illustrious musical architect. Just fantastic. If, <laughs> if you don't know, now you know. Mr. Frank McComb is our special How you doing? <laughs> I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm good. I'm healthy. I'm happy. I'm I'm fully vaxxed. I'm alive. And it is great to be seen right. and not viewed. Yes, amen. Yes. Right. Seen and not viewed. I like that. Oh. I'm gonna start using that one. <laughs> right. We offered that one, Frank. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, man. Yeah. See, I got. Yeah. See, I got. I got all. Got all my great. Got all my great jumping off. I say I'll, I'll take the great over the grave any day. So hey. I'm cool with it. Right. Just turn. Just turn. Just turn. Fifty one on the fifteen. I'm good. Yeah, I'm alive. I know you did your Italy show. Thank you. Oh yeah, yeah, I celebrated the whole month of July this year. <laughs> yeah, to do that thing, man. Yeah, As you should do that thing. <laughs> well, I'm gonna get right oh. to it and get to the the first question. I just want to know because um, I know the your, your church mm-hmm. background, but what was it? Who's the the first artist that you remember listening to that like made you gravitate to music? I would have to say it was Herbie Hancock. Well, it's kind of tough because when I was a kid, a lot of music was played, but uh, my strongest memory would be the Headhunters album, Herbie Hancock, around 73. Uh, It would have to be on the soulful tip. It was uh, probably Talking Book, Stevie Wonder. That was around 72. And, and then there was uh, a 45 that my mother had. My introduction to Donnie Hathaway was a song called I would have to say it was those three. If I had to, right off the bat, if I had to think, like if, you, if I had to give a quick answer, that would be it. Yeah. And uh, I remember when I was a kid, uh, um, <laughs> it used to, my cousins were a little older than me. They would get that album cover and they put their stuff on the album cover and separate the seeds <laughs> and they would say they, they, would, they would get high <laughs> they would get high and say let's watch red what red do man I would go to the I would make my way to the record player you know it was a record player back then it wasn't a turntable it was a record player is what they called it mm-hmm. I would right. run to the record player and I'd be sitting there watching the record turn <laughs> they thought I was crazy as hell. <laughs> and they said, they said, come on, let they said, come on, let's get high and put the records on and watch red. <laughs> then, 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 then I would run to the speaker. I put my ears on the 
thinking that we were in the damn speakers. <laughs> and I just put my ear to the speaker and keep my ear there all day. As long as they played the records, wow. my ear was on the speaker. They thought I was crazy. I, I probably was a little crazy. I probably was a little touch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was to the point where I learned when I learned to read. When, when, when I learned to read, I learned how to read the record while it was turning. <laughs> I really did. That's a, that's a real thing. That is a real yeah. thing. I am here to yeah, confirm I was, that yeah, is a real I thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. And then I would read I would read the, the, the album credits to musicians on on the albums. You know, I didn't want to read no kid books. I wanted to read who was playing on the records. Yeah, that's what yeah. I wanted to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so music influenced me at very young age. Oh. oh shoot, I had to be about three years old when all that was jumping off, three, four years old. You know, just mm. a little thing, you know, what running around. Were you, were you took it seriously? Oh, took it seriously? Yeah. Uh, I would have to say that age because I knew what I wanted to do really? for a living from, wow. from the time I was, yeah, from the time I was a little kid, I knew what I wanted to do. Wow. I, didn't, I mean, between that and auto mechanics, auto mechanics was more like a hobby for me. Photography was a hobby for me. But music has always been in my spirit from the time I was, from the time I can remember, actually. You know, I'm talking two, three, four years old. I've always wanted to play music from the time I was a from the time I could think. Seriously. I can't put an age to singing. I can put an age to drums, which was eight. And um, that was my first instrument. And then piano at 12. But uh, I lean more toward piano than drums. Because I didn't have a drum set. I had I had uh, more access to pianos, keyboards, you know, playing at church. But um, I always took it serious. I can't think of a time where, where I didn't. Yeah. Did you, wow. you want to do both? Or did you like sing and play? Or did you, like, were you, what was your focus? Was it like both? Or was it a separate experience? Actually, both. Because I grew up yeah. on artists that played and sing. You know, I grew mm-hmm. up on Hathaway. I grew up on Stevie Wonder, on John, Billy Joel, Aretha Franklin, Billy Preston, Ray Charles. They all played piano and sang. And then you got George Duke. You got George Benson who played guitar and sang. So I was always fascinated with those who could accompany themselves. And I also had the mindset of being able to play for myself and not having anybody to play for me. So I'll always have a gig. Mm-hmm. Even today. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I can do shows without having to depend on anybody to play for me. And it's to the point now where I hear things that nobody else is going to hear. So I'm able to play it a certain way. So, so I'm I'm happy about that. I'm real happy about that. I can do shows by myself, not have to depend on nobody. Yeah, quiet as it's kept. Who do you who do you think Prince got the idea of piano and a mic from? I was doing solo shows, the living room shows. I was doing them, mm-hmm. and before I knew it, before I knew it, all these years, why do you think I wanted to do it? <laughs> piano and a mic. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I was doing that, you know, long before he thought of it. So. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah, it's a great thing to be able to play for yourself. You can eat. You always eat. Facts. Right. What, <laughs> you grew up in the '70s. What was it? A uh, certain sounds that you wanted to play, or was it like, uh, like, did you have any, or how long did you stay in church? Did you always play in church when you were playing the piano? Was it like any kind of thing during that time of like you had to choose between playing in church or? 
playing a professional gig or did you was that not a issue? Well, I, I played wherever I could. I did. I played wherever I could. I was the kind of kid where wherever I was running right to it because I was so fascinated with it. I grew up playing at my grandmother's church from the time I could actually play, you know. And um, eventually they put me off the organ because they said I played too jazzy. They put me off the organ, man. But then I'm endorsed by Billy Preston in 2003 when he's playing my album. <laughs> so I'm endorsed by Billy Preston. So <laughs> it was crazy because when... um. When 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 we were recording the album The Truth Volume One, uh, I was actually doing a doing a sound check for the B three before Billy got to the studio, and it was in a, in a home of some studio. I hear this doorbell ring. We they opened the door, and well, I opened the door. I stopped and I opened the door because the living room was converted into like a live room. So I opened the door, and it's Billy standing there just grinning. I heard you, boy. I didn't know you played the organ. <laughs> yeah, Billy. boy, you really played organ. I was like, what? He said, yeah. And he showed me some stuff. And I showed him some stuff that I did. And he showed me some stuff. He, yeah, Billy Preston. But yet, I kicked off the organ at my grandmama church in the 80s. <laughs> so, yeah. The see, it doesn't stop there. Either. You know, this thing called politics. It's, you know, it doesn't stop there. I dealt with politics at the Cleveland School of the Arts. And I went from the Cleveland School of the Arts. I went to, rather, the Cleveland School of the Arts from the 8th grade to the 11th. And I was a vocal major, right? Vocal major. Piano was my minor. So I was singing singing the ensembles and whatnot. But then there there were times where I would do things with, with, with the band at the school. Now, this school, we, we would get calls from corporations. You know, the school was 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 uh, designed to teach us how to be prepared for so corporations would call the school and ask for entertainment for their events. So uh, I would always, you know, I'm always invited to be with the choir, the ensemble, the whole nine. But then there was the Cleveland School of the Arts Jazz Trio. And the director of the music department was partial to one piano player. I won't say his name. I don't believe in ex exploiting people. I don't believe in exploitation. I believe in sharing the testimony. But he was so partial to this one piano player that was there before me that when the school would get calls, he would always send the same trio out with this piano player being the lead. And I, I asked him, I said, well, you know, I want to do some of these events too because I want to sharpen my piano skills in front of people. And he took me lightly. So the school got a call. They got two calls at once. You can't be in two places at one time. So I asked the director, I said, you know, why don't you send me another group of guys out to go play the other one? And let yada 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 go play the other one, you know, play one. And he kept telling me for like a week, I'll let you know. <laughs> so, so oh, he wow. brushed me, called me, picked me. <laughs> so, so uh, finally, you know, I, I kept asking, and finally he just went on and said, uh, the other one canceled. So sorry. I was like, oh, dang. <laughs> Well, it just so happened that I was at my, I was still living at my mom's house, and there was a guy, there was a local musician who also worked on for and uh, playing in the bars was, you know, a way to, for him to make extra money. Well, he's working on my mama's roof, and I got a fender road to my bedroom practicing Patrice Russian's work from the 70s. She's a keyboard player. A lot of people don't know she's a keyboard player, but yeah. she's a monster piano player and educator. Mm -hmm. so, and dude, his, now I'll mention him because it's positive. Dallas Hutchins is his name. 
He said, man, is that you down here practicing? I said, yeah. He said, why don't you come out and play some of these bars with us, man? And we'll look out for you. I'm every bit of, like, 17, right? <laughs> so I'm sneaking out with my mom. I'm sneaking out my mom I'm sneaking out of my mama's apartment from the back because her bedroom was in the front. Mine was in the back. So I'm sneaking out the back and going and playing these bars, right? And, you know, some time goes by and the musicians at the school of the arts are like, how come you're not asking the director? You know, no more. I said, because what y'all getting a grade for, I'm getting paid for. He won't let me get the experience here. I'll go get it for myself. And I never asked to go out again. Never did. But it's funny that that thing called politics followed me from back then all the way to today. Politics. Yeah, bad politics. So I've learned if I didn't learn anything else at that school, I learned about politics. Yeah. Politics. Wow. It ain't even about the it ain't even about the music. Nope. Never. That's crazy. Mm -mm. So about the music. Mm -mm. And that was in the, that was late 80s? Yeah, that was like mid to late 80s, yeah. Yep. And so, from so, that, you, you're in a trio, right? Yeah. Was, I had, that, was that right after? Yeah. I, started, I started the trio. I started the trio. I think I started the trio at like 17, 18. Old. Yeah, the Franklin okay. Trio. Yep. What, what sound were y'all going for? Was it, um? did you have a specific, were you like, in terms of like, when you, when y'all started doing the trio, did you like have a specific sound or was you just trying to play, you know, just jamming and stuff from that? Actually, yeah, I was I was taking people's songs and flipping them. You know, like Anita oh. Baker's Sweet Love. You know, I would I would just make jazz versions of like we play Sun Goddess by Earth Wind of Fire, Ramsey Lewis, um, nice. a lot of blues tunes. Yeah, we just flipped stuff. I would never sing. I was very insecure when it came down to my singing. Two reasons. One, I didn't think people would appreciate it. And for two, those that did know I could sing, they would always say, man, you sound like Donny Hathaway. You sound like Stevie Wonder. Man, you do Donny Hathaway good. You do Stevie Wonder good. I'm like, I ain't trying oh, to do nobody. <laughs> so I don't want to hear that. So it, it, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a male version, I'm a male version of my mother, my mother, my aunts, my grandmother, and I'm the only man in my family singing. So there was nobody else to reference me to. But there was a man named George Benson who told me when I was 19 years old, he said, you take it and run with it. He said, man, I had the same issue with Wes Montgomery. They always said I sound like Wes, but I took it and I ran with it, man. And ever since then, I'm like, okay, who works for me? You can always tell me I sound like, you know, the dirt on the ground or something. <laughs> that wouldn't be cool. But if you're telling me I sound like legends, I'll take it. And it wasn't until Eddie and Gerald LaVert, Eddie and Gerald LaVert got in my case at a Rude Boys rehearsal. And uh, <laughs> I don't forget, I was like just sitting at the piano, just kind of warming up and getting ready for rehearsal right before the rehearsal. And, and uh, Eddie walked near me and like just close enough for me to hear him. <laughs> and, and, uh, and Eddie would say to Gerald, he said, hey, Gerald. And Gerald say, yeah, Pop. He said, you see this little fool right here? It's talking about me. And he said, <laughs> this fool right here. He said, he don't want he don't, he don't to make no money. He don't want to make no money. He won't open up his mouth and say. <laughs> so I figured, well, if the Levers believe in me, let me open my mouth and say. <laughs> so, yeah, man. So it took some coaching from Legends to let me know that I have what it takes. Yeah. Yeah, it took some coaches. It, it did. It took some coaching from the Legends to let me know that I have what it takes. 
you segue perfectly because that's what I was gonna go to next. I was gonna ask with the rule boys, was that your first professional gig or was it what what was the or how did that gig even happen? With Rude Boys. Well, I would have to say that the Rude Boys was—I would have to say the Rude Boys was my first professional touring gig. I became professional at seventeen when I made my first okay. dollar. <laughs> okay. That's when I was professional. I was like, it's easier on my hands. <laughs> so you're seventeen. Yeah, but the Rude Boys was my first. Uh, go ahead, go ahead. No, I said, uh, who was your first in? Yeah, professional game. Was it your own or was it with the trio? Well, yeah, my, with the trio. Okay. My, my first, when I first made my first dollar, I knew I could do it. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, my first professional touring gig was definitely the Rude Boys. It was Rude Boys, Laverne and OJ okay, yeah, in yeah. 1991. Yeah, 1991. And um, some contacts during that run, and uh, that's when I ended up moving to Philly. To work with Jazzy Jeff, Will Smith, and uh, Kenny Gamble and Leon Huff. I did a lot of session work for them. Man, and that's what I was going to get to next with yeah. the, the Philly, the, those sessions. Uh, you work with Phyllis Hyman. You What what records did you play for yeah. Phyllis Hyman? Oh, yeah. No, Actually, it was some stuff that Gamble and Huff pulled out of their basement. I'm, I'm telling you. Wow. It was some, some stuff that they, some, some tracks. Of Philly International that wasn't released. And when they pulled that stuff out, her voice was still on it. But they wanted me and a group of young musicians to sit with Leon Huff and we re recorded all of that music that she had sang on. And I think they, they might have released it eventually. And a song called No One But You. And I think it was a version of Hurry Up This Way Again. It was some unreleased stuff that they had us play on. They pulled out some tapes from the OJs that they had sang on like in 73, 74, a song called The Big Gangster. That I remember the gangster. But they pulled them out, they put those put those reels, those 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 two-inch tapes on, on the machine. And man, it was like they had just recorded that stuff. It was so clean. But they had us replay the music at that time over vocals that the OJs did back in 74. So I played on a lot of stuff that they had never released. So it was not it wasn't like I was doing an actual album for them, but it was stuff that was recorded years before but never released, but we replayed that stuff. So it was like I'm I'm being a part of this, you know, that I'm even invited to be a part of this. So yeah, that that's the stuff we did, you know. Yeah, and it was really cool. Even Phyllis came down to Philly International a couple times to check out what we were doing. And man, she was tall, but she was real cool. No nonsense, but really cool. Yeah. yeah. What was it? Did y'all work in the studio with cool her doing that, or was she yeah. just listening to the playbacks of it? No, I think she was listening to the playbacks, and she might have gone in and overdubbed some stuff, you know, while I wasn't there. Totally. But we did all of that recording for her. Yeah. So mm -hmm. how long did it take to do those? Yeah. Uh, what was what are those sessions like? Like a like first take type of thing, or how many times do y'all? I don't, I don't quite. I don't, I don't quite remember. I think we rehearsed it a few times and then probably did a couple takes. That's usually how we do it, but that's most likely what we did. We probably okay. went over it a few times and then did like a couple of takes. You know, one of you. I mean, if you really you got the right set of musicians, we could knock that stuff out like at least three songs a day. You know, and that's how we work, man. When even when I worked with Teddy, 
But Teddy Pendergrass, I didn't even play. I sang, I sang background with like a group of people. And uh, and then he singled me out on one tune. I can't remember the name of the song, but it's on the album, A Little More Magic. And uh, it was after the accident. He was in the wheelchair. And he heard my voice out of everybody's and singled me out. But he wanted to give me some love on one of them tunes on that record. So I think he sang like two or three songs on that album, a little more magic. Yeah, but Teddy was the nicest guy too. Yeah, he was a nice dude. He was a nice dude. Okay, I'm gonna fast forward a little bit. Uh you're signed you signed with Columbia. Tell tell me about that. Hmm. Columbia, well, Let's narrow it. What would you want to know? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, it. I guess because there was some experiences there. We're working with uh, Brad, with Brad from Marcellus, like that record. What? How did that yeah. go about? Like, how, I guess. Uh, Man, it was right after I left Motown. Actually, I left. Yeah, I, I had left Motown. I'm thinking around '94. I had been with them two, three years, and um, uh-huh. and and uh, there was uh, the. One of the people that I, she actually worked for Steve McKeever reached out to me and said that Branford was looking for a male vocalist for to, to head up this group called Buckshot LaFunk. And I was like, okay, well, whatever, get him and touch me. I was so bitter at the time because I felt like, dang, I wasted all this time at Motown and anything with me. You know, so I'm bitter at this time, real bitter, because once again, the politics that went down at the label. And, uh, at that time, Motown had been bought out by Polygram for millions of dollars, and the little guys like me who hadn't gotten any records out were forgotten about. So, uh, by the grace of God, I was and Steve McKeever. I didn't want to stay. So, um, they called me. The lady that worked for Steve McKeever at the time called me and said, uh, and for those of you who don't know who Steve McKeever is, he's the guy that signed Joe Scott to Hidden Beach Records years after this. Still a cool guy with me. But anyway, mm-hmm. uh, they called me and said, Buckshot LaFunk there. I was like, all right, cool, whatever. Um, if I get the call, cool. If I don't, whatever. <laughs> I was just so bitter. Sure enough, I got the call. And um, I went up to this house in the hills on Mulholland Drive somewhere, I guess. And he wasn't there because he was working for the Tonight Show at the time. So he insisted, take me into this empty house that had nothing but maybe a couch <laughs> and some, some recording stuff, you know, a few pieces of recording. His heart was never in L.A. So I, I demoed this song called Mona Lisa's at Manhattan's by Elton John. And um, back home, didn't expect nothing of it, right? Got a call about a week or so later saying, hey, Branford wants you to meet him at, at Sony Studios in Culver City. It's like, okay, cool. Get to the studio, meet Branford, and inside of 45 minutes, the song is done. I went in there and knocked that ball out like it was nothing. So me and says, man, the money I'm paying you, I plan to work your AWS all night. I said, well, think about it. That's why you're paying me the money you're paying me. To not be here all night, right. you can get on to the next thing. <laughs> right. I can get out. And sure enough, right. we became, we were close. About six, seven months later, I get a call. Because I didn't think anything else had to record, but I got a call. Um, Branford wants you to meet him in, uh, at uh, Third Encore Rehearsal Studios for Buckshot LaFont. So I was in the band just like that. I never told Branford. I played piano, so he had to find out uh, from either Steve McKeever or Patrice Russian or both, because they both know the same assistant that I actually met up with in the house, the empty house in Mulholland, to record the song. So one of them, if not both of them, told them told him I was a piano player because when I got to 
there was a keyboard rig set up for me. So I get to this keyboard rig, and he's like, there's a rig over there. I was like, oh, cool, so I get to play on this gig too? Cool, because I thought I was going to stand up and sing, which ain't my thing, really. So, uh, But I'll do it if I have to, but it ain't my thing. So I go to this keyboard rig, and I'm watching all the other musicians take over and jamming in the rehearsal, and, and I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to jam like them too. So I start jamming all hard too, right? And Bradford is screaming on the other musicians, you land, you land, rah, 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 rah. But he comes over to me, stands behind me, puts his hands on my shoulder and goes in my ear and says, the, the less you play, the more you say, and walks off. So I was like, man, this is favor for me not to get screamed on. But it was my first lesson in discipline. You ain't got to play all the notes to capture people. You know, you got a guitarist that'll play a whole bunch of notes and they make you cry. It's called discipline. And that's what yeah. I hate to say it, but that's what a lot of musicians and singers like today. Discipline. Discipline. And I have to check myself sometimes. I get excited and things. <laughs> but discipline. So uh, we ended up doing the first album. But we were still learning ourselves as a band. It wasn't until we went on the road to promote that album that we became a band because we started writing stuff for the second album, Music Evolution. And in writing stuff for that album, we would test it out on the people. And if we got applause, then okay, we're going to keep this one for the record. If people we didn't throw it away or say, okay, no, we can go back to the drawing board on this one because we believe in this one. Well, Branford comes to me and he, uh, in a, right after taking his long ride in the middle of the night, we get to some festival in Finland, I think. And he wakes me up out of my bunk at like, like early in the morning. Wakes me up out of my bunk. Frank, Frank, come on, man, we got to go. I got to show you this song. So he pulls me out of my bunk. I'm half asleep. And we're going from tent to tent to tent looking for a piano. Finally, we find a Crusader stage, and they just tuned to Steinway Grand for Joe Sample. And we get that piano, he starts playing these chords. Tong, 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 another day. Tong, 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 tong. So I put, I'm like, Bradford, Bradford. I hit his head, I was like, dude, first off, what is this song? And what the hell, second of all, what the hell is Did you wake me up for this? <laughs> right? Come to find out. It was the song Another Day. We get back to New York. We cut this joint because we never performed it live. We get back to L.A. We cut this joint, right? And then we go back out on the road. And we're prepared to We get to Amsterdam. And I noticed this song is at the very end of the set. So we get to the end of the set. We hit Another Day. The moment I go into Another Day, the crowd goes nuts. Come to find out we had a hit song. It, uh, another day hit number five on the R&B charts and number one on the pop chart. Right. We had a hit. So between that, the song Better Than I Am and the song Phoenix, it led to my deal with Columbia Records in 1998. So I signed to Columbia Records in 98. We record a great album called Love Stories. And then it sits on the shelf all in 99 because of, in, because of the internal politics between the S department and the R&B department. Now put a pin there. Mm -hmm. I did a two-hour showcase for the R&B department after Another Day took off. No, actually, before Another Day took off, I did a, a showcase for, R &B, for the R&B department. Two-hour showcase, just me and a curse walk. forget. And, and everybody that's anybody that worked at the company that, that made decisions with, they were at that showcase. It was for them. Oh, we love this guy. We're going to sign him. We're going to sign him to the R&B department. Oh, we're going to sign him, sign him, yada, 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 only to do nothing but sign who I believe was Alicia Keys at the time. I believe it was Alicia Keys. 
But they signed somebody else, this female artist, that they didn't do anything with. And yeah, word got back to me that it was Alicia. But um, Branford, I'm like, man, they wasted my time, man. He said, don't worry. We're going to keep you on the road. We're going to keep you on the road. And that's when we put out another day, Music Evolution, and it took off. So then Branford was able to get me signed to, through the jazz department because RB didn't want me. So I got this great album. It's not really a jazz album, but it's geared more toward old school R&B, you know, where Sony's R&B, they wanted, you know, more adult, more urban contemporary, not adult contemporary. So if they're not going to push my adult contemporary album, album rather, then, then it needs to go through the jazz department because it's too musical for them. So uh, this cassette of love stories is getting label. People are like, who's dude? Who's this dude? And Brevard like, mm-mm-mm. It's the same guy y'all passed on to sign that girl. No, uh-uh. no, don't come talking now because when you you had your chance and you showed just how you felt about him. So we do this great album and it sits on the shelf all of 99. April of 99, I'm to eat and feed my family. And then of May of 99, all the way to New Year's Eve, I'm touring with Shaka Khan. And I'm like boiling on the inside because I'm like, I'm a Columbia I'm a Columbia recording artist with a great record sitting on the shelf. So once again, politics come to find out uh, the president of the label wanted me to sing rap hooks. And uh, it's like, they were against me having radio. So I'm like, why are you signing me? If you're going to put all the odds against me, you know? So finally the president of the jazz department, I don't want his name, but the president of the jazz department says, we're going to throw this record out. And if it sticks, it sticks. If it doesn't, oh well. But like I say in all interviews when talking about this, how do you give birth to a baby and tell it to raise itself? It's impossible. It's going to die. And that's what happened in Love Stories. But the fans called on. Fans called on this record. And we're still talking about that record 20 years. Well, now 21 years later. They're still talking about Love Stories like I just released it. Yeah. Can't keep a good record down. It's impossible. Yeah. Can't keep a good record down. No. And you can't keep a good man down either. Yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. You so I, I opted to leave. I opted to leave the label. I, you know, they they let me go. They let me out of my deal. I, I wanted to get out. You know, I'm calling the president of the labels. Uh, I'm calling his his his, um, his his extension every chance I could to say, how come you guys not? And then when the secretary said to me, he doesn't even know who you are. I was like, okay, well, there's my walking papers. Thank you. That's my way of getting on out. So I think that was his way of saying, we're going to just go and let you go. Why you got an artist that you don't know? <laughs> so once again, politics, they got nothing to do with the music. Yeah. So it's been the story of my life. I got out and that's when right. I started doing the indie thing. Yeah. Did the okay. indie thing after that. That's That was my next yep. question. And then I'm going to throw it to EB of like the independent route. What, well, I guess I should mm-hmm. uh, frame it. Like, was that always your intention to like create your, your solo work or was it just, did it just happen with that deal at Columbia? I mean, that connection with Bradford and all that, did it happen from that or did you always want to make a solo uh, record? No, I, 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 I was forced into the indie route, you know, this after yeah. dealing with Motown, a major black label. And I look like I always say, I look at things from the other by public. There's Motown, major black label. Then there's Columbia, major white label. From Columbia, I went to an indie label. Well, I'm the only one on the roster. 
modern day slave. Even to the point where the management that I took on at that time got in bed with the record label to manipulate me to do things in favor of the label. Yeah. So it went from bad to even worse to even even worse. <laughs> so no, okay. Any label? Where else is it to go? So, once I watched the guy that produced the record that I did for Motown in '95 that was never released. Once I watched him bootlegging in 2003, who's the same producer of the record that I did in '03, the Truth, right? Wow. Once I watched him bootleg the record behind a CD and CDR in the UK, that right there told me, okay, there's a market for what I'm doing. If a thief can take from me. He sees something that I don't see in myself. So he just right. opened up my eyes, you know. Yeah, it, it took a, it, it, it um, yeah. <laughs> so I, I figured, okay, well, I'm going to go home and I'm going to put 12 songs on a CDR and I'm going to I'm gonna sell them. I'm going to just focus on the music. If they buy it, oh well. If they don't, then I at least try it. And sure enough, I had a duffel bag full on the wall. 12 songs on the and I wrote on it. Frank Cohn, straight from the vault, went to Cleveland, my hometown, told my story. My hometown was the first one to support me, Cleveland, Ohio. And they bought the whole bag of CDs. And uh, the money I made from the CDs, I put back into making more CDs, but the money I made from the concert, I put it to taking care of my young man. So that's how I started my independent little legacy. And just, just by investing in myself. And um, that record got me my first award. Best album of the year was SoulTracks.com, which is big for me. Because look, nice. and obviously the record I did for Motown didn't because, well, let me take that back. The record I did for Motown, being bootleg, actually did open the door for me. So let me rephrase that. It opened up my mind to see the value that I didn't see. It's a really bad thing when somebody else can see more in you than you see in and we all struggle with that. Even I struggle with that. And I'm internationally known, got my cold following, and literally booking myself, managing myself, recording my own music, and distributing it myself. I'm literally, there is no machine behind me. It's me. It is me. Uh, you know, I mean, I got, I, got, I got my wife who helped me hand package CDs when I was working with Prince. We were hand packaging CDs with me and my yeah. wife. And um, and, for, and other than that, there is no team. I mean, I got folks I can call on that can get things done for me. But for the most part, there is no machine of any kind pushing framework. So to accomplish what I accomplished with these two hands and a throat, man, I will not complain. Because there's somebody out there that wish they could be in the position I'm in. I will not complain, man. I'm just going to keep pressing forward. You got to keep pressing forward. Nice. Yep. I was... I was thinking you said that when you said Prince and everything, I heard something. I don't know where I heard this from, but was he the one that inspired you to like mm -hmm. put your name on everything? Yeah, sure is. He's the one. Okay, he sure did. He okay. told me about it, but he told me about it, but I didn't do it for a few years later. Okay, years later. But he told me about it. He said, you're going to have to brand yourself. You're going to have to make some kind of logo to where people know it's you without even seeing your name. And that's what he would deal with the simple. Yeah. Prince didn't tell me to do anything that he himself had not done already. That's what I loved about Prince. Where I've had so many people that, that tell me all these great brands that they themselves have not done. So I would not be that guinea pig. <laughs> so, but yeah, Prince was straight up and he was like, look, man, you're going to have to brand yourself. You're going to have to create a symbol or logo of some kind because you are a your product. And he said, think about it, Frank. Right. When you sign to a label, you're a product to that label. 
And that label is a bank to you. You don't care about that label. You want you need their money and they need your talent. That's the bottom line. Mm-hmm. Just that simple. So he said, if you got to be both for yourself, then you have to at least. And I thought about it. I mean, I don't have to see the word Pepsi. Just look at the logo. And I know it's them. Exactly. Coca-Cola. Same thing. Exactly. You know, Logitech cameras. I see the Logi, the, 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 the Logi logo. I know it's, it's their camera. You know, Apple. We don't even see the word. We just we know what it is. Right? So that's what Booby School Music is all about. That's what the FM is on your head. This is my record label. And that FM on your head and on your shirt is Frank McCall. So this is the label, and that's the artist. That's right. Hey, I swear I'm, so, I swear like I'm in a mirror right now. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So you have to think. You have to think like them to succeed. Sometimes you know you got to think like yeah. you have to have the mindset of a label. You know. Yeah. You know how we. You, hey, you know. Like this. Every, most kids, there's a superhero that they want to be. And when they're kids, they pretend like they're that superhero. Right? Mm-hmm. Well, same here. I'm pretending like I'm Motown, damn it. <laughs> right. I'm pretending like I'm Columbia. You know? You got to, you got to yeah. imitate what it is that you see. You know? Just keeping it real, man. I'm Superman right now, flying. You know? Yeah. You gotta be that. Right <laughs> That's what we call it. Not Motown. Right Town. You go ahead. Spider Man. Right Town. You need the. You need the market. I used. I used to go. I used to go around. I used to go around the house. I used to go around the house doing that because Spider Man was my favorite superhero. And I watched the, the, the episode. Episodes from the sixties, like the real Spider Man. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the sound effects. So you pretend to be what it is. You pretend to be what it is that you like. So it's right. no different. You imitate what it is that you like. Well, I like having my own label, and I like putting out the music that I wish I could hear on the radio. It's just that simple. Right. And if there was no market for it, then so there is an there is a market for what it is that I do. I'm a soul jazz recording artist. Soul jazz. I don't specify what type of soul, and I ain't specifying what type of jazz because that puts me in a in a in a in a, in a box. You can find soul in damn near any style of music. You You can find soul in straight ahead jazz. You can find soul in everything but pop. They imitate soul in pop. (laughs) I hate to say it. But you can find soul. They try to imitate soul in pop. That's even better. Even you on point. So that's why I say I'm a soul dance artist. I can do, you know, I love straight ahead. It's not my forte, but I love straight ahead. But give me some contemporary, some funk, some, give me that. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to narrow it. I'm a soul jazz artist. And if there was no market for what I do, like I said, there will be no audience. Nobody will buy my records, nobody will buy my shows. I see what the system doesn't see. That's why I can't conform to a system. I just, I can't do it. You know, I don't, I, I, I'm versatile. It's like I was punished all these years for being versatile. No, it's not my fault. You don't know what to do, what to do with a. It's not my fault. That's not my problem. And you know how they say you were ahead of your time? No, I ain't. And God would have waited and brought me out later. I would have been born later if I was ahead of my time or, or you know. Right. Yeah. No, this is my time. And it's not my fault that you don't know what to do with a guy like me. You know, so I market my versatility. You know, that, that's what I do. I like my versatility. For those of you out there that are versatile, know how to make your own music, put it out, no different styles of music. Um, 
you know how to sell your music, record your music. Put out, don't let the world tell you that you're overqualified. No, they are underqualified to have your gift as a city. Do not let the world tell you that you're not good enough or you're too good. Yeah, don't don't do that. You just you market your versatility. And and the people will come. They'll come. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't let the world punish you because you're that good. Yeah. Go ahead, Amy. You system. I think it's interesting that you that you brought that up about your versatility and um, the way in which you market it, because I, I do think there are many, many artists who have that same versatility, but they conform to what a label or what someone else told them that they should be. And they don't market it in the way that you do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I think. Now, I'll I'll say this. um, I think mainstream is Mm -hmm. completely overrated. But why do you think today we don't see as many mainstream artists who are versatile? Like, we don't see people like Frank McComb who are playing and singing. We don't see the George Dukes, the Aretha Franklins, the Patrice Russians. Like, what what Mm -hmm. about back in the day? They were mainstream. But now we don't see them. Mainstream, yep. We get the same cookie cutter in, in every genre, not even just like any genre you could choose. We get the same cookie cutter thing. Mm. And it's it's kind of like yeah. um, what I say now when everybody has the same face. Everybody's going to the plastic surgeon and getting the same, you know, give me the number five. And everybody walk around. <laughs> <looking at them. laughs> it's, it's what, it's what it is. Give me the number five. Give me the number five. Like at the Photoshop, you know, give me the number five. <laughs> give me the number five. <laughs> we see it in music you- so much. <laughs> You got fast food, you got fast face. <laughs> you got fast face, that's right. You got fast face. Microwavable music where everybody is sounding the same, everybody has the same image, everybody's using the same beats, the same samples. If if there is a live mm-hmm. musician playing, they're playing the same chords on everything. Why is that? Like what about now has changed versus the days of like Billy Joel and George Duke, like what's changed? Well, for one, music has been taken out of schools. That's one. So there's no exposure to music. And I mean music, the art form anymore. Mm -hmm. So it's been taken out of schools. Mm -hmm. So these Mm -hmm. kids are stuck with whatever they can hear, either on radio or streaming online. And when you have the same labels competing to to have the same sound out, I mean, it's... Mm -hmm. um, that that limits the music. Uh, it limits the music a lot, um, as well. It's not about music anymore. If you think about it. Once again, it's not even about music anymore. It's about a sound. It's not about music anymore. It's really sad to say. And there's some great musicians out there. Some great artists out there, but they're not getting the mainstream exposure. Me being one of them, getting the mainstream right. exposure for what it is that we do. So. Um, it as a fan, you know, it's, it's it's a style of music, a sound that's like the most popular sound. And if you don't fit that sound, and oh well, because we're making a lot of money off of this sound. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I'm not I'm not racist. I call it as it is. If I was a white guy with all this talent, I'd have like cases filled with awards. Yeah. And we're talking even in my youth. I'm 51, but we're talking when I was 21. 
We're talking 25, 30. I would have cases filled with, with the Lord's. If, if, I was, if I was a white guy, I don't know. I got one better for you. If I was, and I'm not, like I said, I ain't racist. I'm a realist. If I was a white young lady, not even a white guy, if I was a white young lady with all of this gift, oh, yeah, mm -hmm. it'd be plaques and awards. I'd probably take Stevie down for the most Grammys, you know, in the Guinness Book of World Records, you know, because yeah. he is in the Guinness Book of World Records as, as, as a, a solo male solo artist with the most Grammys in the world. I would probably take him down. You know, yeah. So, um, yeah, music really has nothing to do. It's about politics and the sound. You know, if, if you don't fit this sound, then okay, well, well, I have no use for you. <laughs> you know, or I could, um, I could put on some tight shorts or something. You know, be showing all my body off and things. I could be doing that. You know, and then I might have right because you got the image to go with this, with the music so it's not it's about business and marketing it's not even about music no more it's about marketing you know even down to social media i'm not concerned with a bunch of numbers and you know how many people follow me because i think that stuff is controlled too anytime you can yeah, of course for sure be people following you that don't even know who you are you know so i know a guy right now that is not a recording artist he's not a public figure this guy's got 285,000 followers and I am internationally known, been doing this forever, right? And I haven't, I haven't So I look at Najee. I don't even think Najee has any followers as me. And he's been on the scene since 1986 with Black exactly. Records. Yeah. So I don't get caught up in numbers. But you let somebody young hit in the scene, they don't have them numbers on their social media because this is their society. And they'll feel they're not good enough because of it. Yeah. Let me tell you something. Music was meant to be heard, not seen. Unless you read music at an instrument. <laughs> right. <laughs> you right, know what I'm right. saying? So mm -hmm. I'm concerned about getting good sound and music. You know, and, and, and that's nice, the numbers and stuff. And if you follow me, I appreciate it. I really do. And there's nothing wrong with having even more followers, but I will not base my life and my career on the numbers that I don't see on social media. Not doing it. Right. It's um speaking of like the Assistant. label politics. Ain't doing it. The label politics of it all. Mm -hmm. Um it, it's it's it can mm -hmm. be so detrimental to a person's career, but also I think what's helped you a lot was your reputation and the personal connections that you made, some of them because of the label, but because people see the value in what you bring. Mm -hmm or not even see the value, they hear the value in what you bring to the overall music scene. Everybody doesn't have that. Labels, I have to be honest, the labels that I was with didn't do anything for me. They did nothing mm. for me. You know, there's a lot of people nowadays that call themselves indie. No, well, you had a push before you became indie. Your label at least got right. your record out, got you some kind of exposure on radio, on TV, mm -hmm. Uh, 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 all of those uh, uh, MTV for some of them, you know, even uh, what is it? Uh, what is it? Music choice. You know, your label did something mm -hmm. for you to get you out there before you became indie. So you had a push. Yeah. So, yeah, I didn't. Yeah. I didn't get no from any of the labels I was with. I didn't get any of that. So mm. it's, it's it's me. It's, I'm telling you, it's definitely God covering me and taking me from place to place to place. Anybody who knows who I am is because God and God alone. And that's the truth. I kid you not. Um, mm -hmm. 
regarding the relationships with people, I've had to 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 work hand in hand, like on my own, making relationships with folks, um, trying to build relationships with stations that I would hope would get me. When I put Straight from the Vault out, it was a CDR. I literally burned it. Me and my wife, we literally burned it one at a time. Cases after I wrote on them, Frank McCall's Straight from the Vault. We did that for most of my albums. We did yeah. for a number of years. We did that for most of ours. We hand packaged every single CD. So if you're out there and you have a Frank McComb record that's a CDR, it definitely came from our hands. So eventually it becomes something special. Your value skyrockets, but you got something that personally came from the artist. So when um when when we put Straight from the Vault out, I got in touch with many many stations, and they thought that it was something that somebody was stealing from me. Now it was my he was still in my well he knew me but it wasn't from me then they feel they got something because oh this is gonna be hard to find oh this is like i got something but when the artist does it the artist gets slammed so do you know all of those stations wrote me back and some didn't write me back because they thought it was a joke it was only two stations that gave me love that was whur in washington dc and wclk in atlanta georgia that was it Wow. That was it. But then when the internet station started coming on, that's when I started getting support in the radio world. I had to go. So no, I was. It wasn't my choice out of the blue to become independent. I was forced mm-hmm. into becoming independent if I wanted a career because I was right. too big to fit a system. But I look at it like this: I must be a trailblazer to, for somebody somewhere because it's usually the ones. It's usually the trailblazer. It's always one that, that that starts something new. That catch the heat. My wife and I were just talking about this with Tesla. I'm sure they clowned that man for coming up with an electric car. Now everybody's doing it. Everybody. It's always the one, it's always the first one that's starting something something new that always catches all the heat. So I look at it like that. You know, I I I I'm I'm the dude that's for the artist that sings and plays an instrument and can do both equally as well. I'm I'm for and that it, artist. And it shows. I mean, even when you're talking about some of your first musical memories and you're talking about people like Donnie Hathaway and Stevie Wonder, it not that I would say mm-hmm. that you are Donnie or Stevie, mm-hmm. but there's a clear like connection there. Like right. they do I feel one mm-hmm. just as well as they do the other. And that's what you're doing. Um the other. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if if this is an appropriate question, because I'm, you know, I don't care. Is there anybody who you see that talent in now that people would know? Is there anybody you, that you see like, oh, I can see the duality of their artistry. I can see them playing whatever instrument. It can be keys, it can be drums, it can be guitar. And I could hear the vocals. I could hear um, that they have a passion for it. I can hear the soul in it. Off the top of my head, I would have to charge it to my ignorance that I don't. I would have to charge it to my ignorance that I don't. But I do have a friend I have a friend that's actually worked on her. I have to give her some credit. Tasia Hill. She's a bass player that plays with me out of Atlanta, Georgia. Tasia mm-hmm. stands out front and sings, and she right. sings her heart out, and she's a I whole bass player. Y'all need to look Tasia. at Tasia. She's so dope. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, y'all need to interview oh, her. Y'all need to get a hold. I'm, I'm about to interview her. Yeah, I'm about to interview her, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. But Tasia is really trying to do it, man. Yeah. Tasia is, she, she's bad. She's bad. Uh, Another person I think, I haven't heard her really dig in, but another person I think could probably go there is the girl, her. She might have. Mm -hmm. 
equally do both equally you know playing an instrument and singing but i haven't really heard her go in like that to really just not sing and just get it off you know what i mean i ain't heard that yet but i bet she probably could go there but there i'm sure there are many artists out there who can probably play an instrument close to to uh as good as they can sing or vice versa you know right they they could be you know a, a better musician than a singer but we never know it because the labels don't let you stretch out like that you know, so, it, it, you know, probably so. John, John Mayer, I have to give it to John Mayer. And I think about mm-hmm. John Mayer's cool. When he did Michael Jackson tribute, Michael's, Michael's funeral, he killed human nature. Mm-hmm. The boy can play. Yeah, he can play. Yeah, so it's, it's a few of them out there. It's just, yeah. I, I'm sure it's more of them out there. It's just that they're not allowed to expose that side of themselves. So I'm going to be limited, man. God gave this to me or loaned it to me because when I die, he's going to put it in somebody else. But... He loaned it to me for, for who I am now, and I, I have to trust him that it'll get to the places where it needs to be. Right. I love the way you answered that. Um, you, you said, you know, to your ignorance, because uh, a lot of music veterans would not answer it that way. They will give a straight no. There's nobody out there. When in actuality, there <laughs> are people out there. Like, we just might not know them. They are. They may not have been we just haven't heard them. We just haven't heard them yet. I mean, and they're. There could be some right now who are mainstream. Because I have to look at it. I got to look at it. Look at it. Yeah. Like, you named her. Because yep. look, at, look at it, man. We haven't heard it. Yeah. But we ain't been able to hear it. She probably can get it in. Let me right. tell you something, man. Me answering and saying it's me. Because I have not been exposed to, obviously, millions of people in the world still don't know who I am. So, yeah, they exist. I'm one of them. If you think about it, if you turn it around, yeah. you know, there are millions of people out in this world that have not heard of the name Frank McCone because Frank be exposed like other artists that call themselves indie artists. So, yeah, I'm one of those guys, you know, one of those guys still walking the earth that still has not haven't still haven't been exposed to the masses, but exposed mm-hmm. enough to where I have a cold following. You know, I'd have to say I have right. a cold following. Not famous, but popular is what I would say. <laughs> and that's just being humble about it. You know, we're we're supposed to practice the art of humility, not call ourselves humble, but practice the art of humility. So in practicing humility, I will say that I have a cult following. I'm not famous. Mm-hmm. I would say I'm extremely popular. Mm. I still have to mark. I still have to get to that mark as well. You know? Yeah. yeah. Whatever road I, God um, sees me going down to get to that. I'll take that road. And that's the road I'll take, the narrow road, not the wide one. Because if it comes too not easy, you in trouble. <laughs> yeah, man. You mentioned um, WHUR being one of those stations early on who yeah. w- was mm-hmm. giving you that love. That And that's where I first heard you. I went to Howard. So that was, I was on campus. Oh, and wow. who is this guy? Like, who is this? And I, I don't remember the first song wow. that I heard them play, but I do remember being, for whatever reason, because I'm from South Carolina, mm-hmm. small town in South Carolina, went to Howard, so I'm in D.C., and I'm thinking to myself, oh, there are other people out here that I just haven't been exposed to because they're not played right. on the radio where I'm from. So I'm hearing, you know, yeah. the song mm-hmm. over and over, and I'm like, hmm. And I think I discovered Lettucey on the same, the same <laughs> exact way, W-H-U-R, and I'm listening. And I'm did. like, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm like yep. listening. And I'm, who is this? And why are they only being played on WHUR? Like they're not being played, 
you know, on 1023 right, right, right now. That was years later, but at the time it was only yeah. WHUR. Mm-hmm. Um, were you like, when you, mm-hmm. did you ever do like radio station tours and were you going and, or were you just like passing, like sending, sending your music out? Man, I was sending music out. I couldn't even get into the stations to do the radio station tours. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean, really, keep it real with right. you. I've only been yeah. invited to XM Radio once. Even XM Radio wow. really? once. So, yeah. yeah, and I am who I am today. Yeah, so, you know. Wow. Yeah, man, so I'm just keeping it real. Wow. I'm out here, and I'm not knocking old ladies upside the head to put good <laughs> music out. I'm not trying to... Um, Tell you some compromise grace, and I don't mind compromising because mm-hmm. compromise basically is to get a little to get a lot. You know, you give a, right. give a little rather to get a lot. Sometimes get a lot. you got as, as I heard as I heard Denzel Washington say, you gotta be you get sometimes you gotta do what you gotta do to be able to do what you want to do. Right. In my case, do what I need to do, and right. that means you know you gotta give a little to gain what it is that you want to get to the next level. Mm-hmm. I believe in that, but but. uh Hey, here's my soul on the platter. Take it. Nah, you got no. the wrong man. Nah, right. you got the wrong guy. <laughs> mm. So you, I'll wait, I'll wait on God first. I wait on God. I don't. I don't think that all labels are, are evil. I don't think all labels are bad. Right. Uh, I, I. I don't. I just have not found a label with the team of people that believe in Frank McComb yet. You know, I just haven't found that label yet. And until then, I'll I'm single. And mm, just continue and I, to enjoy putting out music, you know, putting out music the way I put it out and, and you know, until further notice. I think most labels are, they are not necessarily listening for the impact that you could have or for your talent, but they are looking to see how much you can bring in, how many mm-hmm. people you can get to follow you. Like you mentioned the followers earlier, like the exposure that you could have, yeah. would it not be for the label politics? And you are like, you're a legend in the game. Like you've worked with, you're like a who's who of who is in the industry. I mean, you work with Prince, Shaka, Tina oh, Marie, wow. Thanks, the man. OJs. Like you're one of those people who, I mean, and not just like you've worked with Brand from Marsalis. Like you, you, you're able to work with so many different people, but sometimes people don't want to see the value in you versus the value in what you've done. They don't want to see that mm-hmm. because they're not hearing. Yeah, they, they don't have and, and, and to And to be versatile. Yeah. Yeah, you, yeah. you are. And, and I'm versatile, man. From gospel with Fred Hammond and John Key to Will and Jeff with rap. Yeah, I did yeah. session work. I remember doing sessions for, uh, for Jam Master J. I did for Jam Master J back in the 90s. I forgot wow. about that. Uh, man, and then, you know, wow. working with Gamble and Huff and, and, and Tina and Frankie Beverly and all those guys. Just different styles of music. You know, even Joshua. Joshua um, what is Joshua's name? Violinist. We and Branford had me uh, produce this with him a version of Amazing Grace that I did for him and he's a jazz violinist you know Karen Briggs mm-hmm. jazz violinist uh, Jeff Bradshaw right. soul trombonist soul jazz trombonist mm-hmm. so it's it's the versatility and I'm, I'm not gonna I'm down man I don't, I'm not gonna do that then that, that that's selling out I believe in um I believe in showcasing my versatility. I mean, I think the next thing I might do is a smooth jazz record because I can do it. Not because I'm selling out, but because I want to do it. 
Because you know, I've done a lot of soul right. stuff. I've done, I've done, I've done instrumental stuff like me and Dennis Chambers. We were we were t- we were touring Italy, and we went to the studio and cut a song that I wrote when I was 19 years old, and I had no name for it. Um, we cut this tune in Italy. I put it out. It's an instrumental joint, and it's called DC, as in Dennis Chambers, DC and Me, and it's all mm-hmm. and um, DC and Me. I released it, and and it's like George Duke meets Chick Corea. Not even singing on it. Oh, wow. No vocals at all. Oh, no yeah, vocals. DC and me. No vocals at all. Yeah. I did an album in 2006. I released a record on December 1st. I'm singing nowhere on it. And mm-hmm. it was definitely a perfect record for smooth jazz. But if I would have had the financial support, it would have been all over smooth jazz. It would have been over. But there are folks in Chicago that, that I, I mean, especially Chicago. I mean, I get messages from a lot of people saying that they love that record. But a lot of them from Chicago, they're like, man, this, this instrumental record is killing. <laughs> I didn't even realize it was you. <laughs> mm. Yeah. So I was named the 27th greatest keyboard player by musicradar.com. 27th greatest wow. keyboard player in the world. 27. For what I do, for my style of music. So I'm So and I'm going to continue to do it right. So this, this interview is for the person that's doubting him, themselves that uh, mm-hmm. you're not the only one. You're not the only one. Keep doing you're what you're doing one. and you'll get there. You're not the only one. Keep doing what you're doing and get there. We have this thing called and we got all these uh, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, all of them, Twitch, everything. And use what you can, man. And and, and expose yourself. Expose yourself. Get that exposure. And take with, on interviews like this one I'm doing now. Yeah, yeah. Because this is actually a lot of people um, who won't do these type of interviews but there's so much value in oh, yeah. doing mm-hmm. interviews here. It's so much value. It's with everything that it you is. do, with it all is. of the different musical styles, is there a particular style mm-hmm. that just feels like home? It feels more comforting than any other? Man, it's, it's funny you say that. Soul, soul R&B, maybe, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and uh, contemporary jazz. Like, I'm not talking like the smooth jazz. I'm talking like what, what contemporary jazz used to be. We're talking right. back in the mid-70s. Robert Washington Jr., Idris Muhammad, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Herbie Hancock. The, the soulful, soulful jazz will always have my heart. You know, mm-hmm. saw that soul jazz, you know. Uh, contemporary right. jazz from the mid-70s always have my heart, man. Uh, uh, George, George Benson, George Duke, back in that time, that era, you know, from from mm-hmm. the seventies, music from mm-hmm. the seventies, R and B from the seventies. We're talking Parliament, the Spinners, um, just that that style is always have my heart over any other style of music. You know, even gospel from that time. We're talking James Cleveland, Aretha Franklin with the Amazing Grace album in seventy two, uh, yes. Shelly Season and Caravans, Andre Crouch. Yes. You know, back in that time when gospel didn't require a whole bunch of over singing and running, you know, and a whole lot of uh, notes in the chord changes. Just you know, that, that's what I felt back then. You know, mm-hmm. we we you know, it's, it's some styles of music in this day and age, and it's not to knock nobody. Don't get me wrong, but the vocal and musical addicts kind of turn me off. I want to feel it. I don't necessarily want to hear. I want to yes. feel. I want to feel music. If I can't feel music, I don't connect to it. Even yeah. when driving, I could be taking a road trip, and the music playing in a car makes a it's it's, it's a big, big impact on 
if the music ain't saying nothing, I'm changing the channel. I'm changing my 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 uh, my, my focus. Sometimes I put my phone on it. If it's something I don't want to hear on that, I change it. I got to change it. I got to mm -hmm. feel it. If I ain't feeling it, it's not stimulating me. It is not to be heard. So, but yeah, that's and you know what you said. Uh, it's, it's just to backtrack on something you said, E.B. You said that a mm -hmm. lot of people won't do interviews like this. But you know what? There's yeah. a lot of places in the world that most mainstream recording artists won't play. And right. I play those little cuts in Europe. Like, you, you, I play them little, uh, little spots in, in Italy somewhere that most mainstream mm -hmm. artists won't play because mm -hmm. they love music, too. And I have so much footage of playing these little bitty places, man. These big, these uh, little towns with big cathedrals, and it's probably people yeah. in the whole city. I'll play them in a heartbeat. But a lot of mainstream artists don't get to play those places. One of two reasons. Well, one reason is because they probably feel that people wouldn't come out and see them, which I doubt. But mainly because they have so many people to pay that they really can't afford to play those little places because you got management to pay, you got right. agency fees to pay, and no booking agent is going to book them up in a place like that. No way. I'll take it right. because I have great, great relationships with musicians around the world. So people are always asking me, how is it that you can play these places? Well, you know the musician, and I play as well as I sing, sing as well as I play. I'm and I and I'm syndicated with musicians, and we mm -hmm. they they tell me the places that look for a guy like me that'll come and play. So everybody is not privy. Everybody can't get up to those places to play them, but I can. So I take advantage of every opportunity to come my way, even on interviews like these. I take them. It's it's funny you say that because I, without naming any artists, because I'm not going to name any artists, but. I just remember in D.C., there were so many artists that I was exposed to in smaller venues. And my friends and I were discussing this about two weeks ago. You know, nothing's the same. Like those same artists that we discovered in those smaller venues. Now they've gotten too mainstream to do like a Blues Alley or a Birchmere. Like everybody wants yeah. to go straight to a Verizon Center or everybody wants to go to these huge arenas and nobody's really catering to yeah. Um, like the, 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 I would say like the core audience that you have, everybody's mm -hmm. catering to the wider base of the audience that you gain later. Um, yeah. this will be my last question for you. Um, with everything that you've done and everybody that you work with, and you've literally worked with everybody, <laughs> uh, if you could pinpoint one lesson that you learned from any of those artists, <laughs> Just one, because I know, and and I'm gonna say it this as well, because I know you're the king of impressions. I forgot that, mm -hmm. but you are the king of impressions. <laughs> but just one one piece of advice from one artist no, that has stuck no, with you. No, no. <laughs> just one. Come on. You want me to imitate I mean, somebody? You know, I mean, listen, 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 you're doing it. He kills it. He keeps saying he, no, plays man. As as he, sings, he sings as good as he plays, <laughs> but he's also a comedian. His comedy is just about as good as both of those. I'm, I'm not a comedian. I'm not a comedian. I'm just being me, man. I'm just being me. You know? No. Naturally hilarious. No, man. Oh, you must be talking about that time I was talking about Prince when my wife and I, Nisa, Nisa and I were, were putting CDs together. 
We put C's in, in the rehearsal room in his office. <laughs> and he came in there. <laughs> see, I can't even do it now. Shoot. He came in there and couldn't really see what we were doing because we were too tall for him to see. He had to look in between, you know. <laughs> and he said, he said, he said, he said, what are you guys doing? <laughs> what, what are you, what are you guys doing? <laughs> I said, I was running the family business. Hey. That's all. George Benson, when you talk to George and you tell him about me, he going to say, man. I've known that boy since he was 17 years old. You said it. <laughs> 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 George is funny. Oh, you know what? <laughs> it was the Miles Davis one for me. I lied. I lied. I, I have one more. I have one more question. Y'all, 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 y'all bad, man. Y'all bad. This, this one more. <laughs> y'all bad. <laughs> In, uh, <laughs> if you could go back to being that 17-year-old with your first trio, what's like one piece of advice you wish you had known then uh-huh. that you know now? Mm. Wow, man, I'm going to have to narrow that down. <laughs> I'm going to have to narrow that down. Oh, man. I, I would have to say to save your money and start your own label, never sign to one. Save your money. Hustle and save your money. Hustle up your music and save your money and, and put your own music out yourself. Never do a publishing deal. <laughs> so wow. keep your publishing. <laughs> yeah. 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 Keep your don't, don't let don't learn don't 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 let life speak to you. Meaning don't learn the business as you live the business. Learn more of the game before you get in it. Yeah, don't let life have to speak to you. Because when life speaks to you, it ain't cool. Yeah. It ain't it never cool. Life is no, a brutal lesson, speaking. man. It's a brutal lesson. Yeah. Yeah, you, you're speaking. I'm um, sure somebody listening right now who needs this advice. Yeah. You, you, you asked me before, before the invitations. You asked me um, what advice did I get from working with right. other artists. Right. Um. I would have to say that I didn't really get advice from from them, but it's something I learned from all of them. Don't kiss ass. Mm. Don't ever do mm. that. Don't kiss ass. Treat them as people. Uh, yeah. they, are, they put on their pants, they put on their drawers one leg at a time, just like you and me. Um, if all right. they, Hopefully they do. If they wear them, uh, <laughs> um, I, I, I learned I, I have so much respect. I have a lot of respect from all of the artists that I work with because I didn't brown nose. I didn't I didn't do that. I, I, didn't, I did my job. I don't want no excuses when it was time for me to get paid. So I ain't trying to befriend you. You didn't hire me to be your friend. You hired me to play play behind you. And that's what I did. So to this day, I have the respect of every recording artist that I worked with. And if I don't have their respect, then it's a personal problem with them because I did nothing to offend them. And this I can stand on. Yeah. Mm. Don't come in brown nose. And Prince had a lot of respect for me because I didn't treat him as a god. I treated him as a man. And he and I would sit down and talk just like I'm talking to you guys. And and he respected me for it to the point where he would invite me to the house this 
So yeah. music didn't even have to be involved, but you know he can't do that. He couldn't do that. I mean, I remember being up at the house one time. It was me, my wife. Uh, it was Prince, Larry Graham, his wife, Tina, Sean Robinson from E! Hollywood, and her dad, and a couple of Prince's business partners. So I would say it was about maybe nine, ten of us in the house. And we had a jam session that night, like we were playing at the Staples Center. But that night, we we hung, man, just as people. Mm -hmm. um, one time, it was probably like five of us in the house, me, my wife, Prince, and two other people. And uh, we walked over to this this theater he had in the house where we were watching Kevin Garnett play. That's that's how long ago it was. But he was Kevin Garnett was his favorite basketball basketball player at the time. And because mm -hmm. uh, Guitar Hero was real big at that time. And my wife was asking him, how come you're not on Guitar Hero, man? And he said to her, he looked at her and said, it's funny you say that because we just had a meeting about that today. And I just literally told him a few hours ago that their numbers are not up high enough for me. <laughs> so it was conversations like that. Yeah, right. Yeah. We talk, he's calling, he's calling uh, the movie movie companies, Paramount, Universal, asking them to have a driver send the latest DVDs or DVDs of the latest movies up so he can watch them in the theater that we're standing in because he couldn't go mm -hmm. to the movies. So, so it was times like that, you know, we just talking about this first hit soft and wet, things like that. Just right. regular everyday people. But it's because I did not stroke. I didn't brown those. I don't do that. That ain't my thing. My thing. Right. And um, you, you lose gigs, man. I mean, I heard, I'm not true it is, but I heard it was a keyboard player that was working for Beyonce. And she stopped the rehearsal and fired the girl on the spot. <laughs> you brought that on yourself, kid. <laughs> You don't yeah. do things like that. No, no. <laughs> wow. Yeah, man. Do do the job. Do the job. And when they talk to you, do you talk to them? It's your heart. Right. You know? I But in my case, know, everybody that I everybody that I played for knew that I was a recording artist. Everybody that I played right. for knew that I was a recording artist. You know? Mm -hmm. Okay. Except for except for the OJ's uh Rue Boys Levert Rue Boys Levert Everybody after that, even even Jeff and Will, I wasn't signed to Motown yet, but Jeff and Will, they knew I wanted to be an artist. But I was, mm -hmm. but they respected me because I didn't brown those to this day. Right, that's not my thing. Mm -hmm. Ain't my thing. Yeah, not my thing. I respect that. I respect. Uh, only got one. I think we. I think I, I'm kind of familiar with this, so I'm not. I don't play this game with you, but I'm not gonna do the full game like I usually do because I don't think you you rock uh -oh. with artists like that. Uh -oh. <laughs> they, they're too young uh -oh. and you're talent, so you. I, I'm gonna shorten it up a little bit. We play this game. It's called the "What's Wrong with You" game. I make up the rules as I go. Uh, you know, <laughs> oh God, Eb, what am I in for? Eb, Eb, what am I in for? That's what the rules is. Trouble. Trouble, <laughs> trouble. 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 That's what the rules is. What I pick. And if you don't, you get it what's wrong with you. Uh -oh. And it's just it's a mixture of uh, musicians and singers, you know, and so with the picking of it's basically who you play more on your playlist. That's basically what the game is. And so it's not a comparison, it's not a vocal comparison, uh -oh. none of that. It's just who do you play more of? Okay, I'm gonna start this off. Teddy Pendergrass. Or Marvin Gaye. Both. I can't choose. <laughs> I, I play them both all the time. I'm gonna give you true. I'm gonna give you true. 
I mean, you too. Kenny, Kenny Campbell used to say all the time, you can't say nothing nice, don't say nothing at all. So if I don't speak... Okay. Okay. The first one uh, is, is looking pretty standard. Okay, the second one is uh, the OJs or the Whispers. Oh, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. But I got to go with the Jays because Vert is my dude, and and I came up under Vert. Though the Whispers do know who I am, I didn't realize they knew who I was. Walter Walter Scott. The I would have to go with the Jays only because Vert is like family. Yeah, they're all, man, they are the coolest, man. They the coolest. Yeah. Okay, you get you 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 answering right, you talking right. The next one is Prince or Rick James. Prince. Okay. Those are all trick yeah. questions, by the way, those first yeah, three. Prince. Uh, Rick James is a bad dude though. Yeah. You would have picked, you would have got it right. Okay, now we have the part again where you got hey, hey, man. Right. Uh oh. Uh-oh. You got you to gotta get all right or you get what's wrong. That's what I'm saying. I'm put you on a roller coaster. We was up here. We, we we up here now. Now we about to downscale, go down. So it just depends on where you move at, you know, your answer. It uh -oh. determines if you get what's wrong with you or not. Okay. This one right here is Michael Jackson. Uh -oh. Michael Jackson specific. Off the wall or thriller. Off the wall. Thriller's a, Thriller's a cold record. It is. Off the Wall is the one that put him on the map. That's the one. Off the Wall is the record. I can, I can listen to Off the Wall back. I, I can listen to Off the Wall a few times from top to bottom. Yes. Off the Wall is the one for me. Okay. That's before Michael, you know, went too far, you know. Yeah, that's why he went. That's before he went too far. You know? right he should have stopped right far. there. He, he should have stopped the thriller. Yeah, that, he should have. Yeah, he should have. He went and he asked for that number yeah. five. That's what happens. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's what happens. Right. To to he 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 went the full oh, Lord Jesus. But, uh, Lord. <laughs> oh, uh, Miss Patty or Miss Aretha. Ooh. That's uh, the next one. I would have to say Aretha. I love Patty. But I have to say Aretha because Aretha had more of an impact on me as a singer musician. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, and 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 the soul, because I was I came up a soul singer, you know. The Patty, she cold, mm -hmm. but you know she was cold. she was she's cold. Definitely Aretha does the musical side of Aretha. Aretha Aretha played piano so well that a lot of people don't realize that she could play without opening her mouth. She could have done this instrumentally. Man. There's a song. There's a song called Brand New Me. At the end of that mm -hmm. song, Brand New Me. Aretha, Yeah, she could have played blues piano all day. Yeah. All day. Yeah, I love Aretha. She was one of those artists that she didn't really get to showcase all her piano chops like she really could have. But yeah, Aretha was bad. And she was always so much more comfortable yeah, she when she was playing and singing. Like, you could hear it. You could feel it. Mm-hmm. You become one. You become one with the instrument. You really do. That's for Eddie Levert threatened my life, man. Eddie told me, he said, You better not ever get up from that piano, boy. That's where your magic is. I Yo. kill you myself. Oh! I wake you up and kill you. <laughs> I never forget that. 
Hey, Levert told me that. He said, if you ever get up from the piano, that's where your magic is. And I, and I do not really get up from the piano. Yeah. Frank, yeah, do that voice one more time. Yeah. I ain't doing nothing. <laughs> <laughs> well, he yeah. sounds just like Eddie, though. Like, just. And I've Eddie, so I've heard him speak. But well, he sounds just like him. Oh, my God. Listen. Eddie be like, man. <laughs> He old old school Cleveland, like just old school. <laughs> I know yeah, man, you better believe it. I know, that. I know, I know. <laughs> Y'all funny. No, okay. You listen. You were supposed to say candy oh, on this one, and so the rules. I make up the rules as I go. And so one of the rules is, if you don't pick what I pick, you have to name at least five of their songs. It don't matter if it's a hit or an album cut. You got to name five songs. Five of who? Six. So wait, I'm so wait, wait a minute. Did, oh, hold on, hold on. First song, five of who songs? Patties or Aretha? No, Aretha. You said you got huh? to play some five Aretha songs in 20 seconds. I added five. Now, what? Now, hold on, hold up, hold up, hold up. Why this guy, why? Now, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. Why this game gotta be biased to your rules? This ain't right. You have to he already named one. I he already named one of the songs. I just he named an album. Because uh, some of y'all don't give me a truth. I just need the truth to come out. So you want five? You want five? You you want five songs by Revi? Five songs by Revi? Yeah, five. Give me, right. me an easy five. Easy five. Let's go. How I got over, right? Mm-hmm. Spanish Harlem. Okay. Rocksteady. Mm-hmm. Baby, baby, baby. Mm-hmm. You don't know nothing about baby, baby, baby. You don't know nothing about yeah. baby, baby, baby. Nah. Not yeah. Respect. Oh, okay. okay. And respect. Yeah. Okay. So. Who's on the who? Yeah. Who's on the who? Make it up to you. Uh, make it. Make Give me the up to you. Do I believe I do I believe I stubs for the four tops? <laughs> there we go. Yes, sir. Okay. Listen, you don't. Pink know Cadillac. You name me five, and so you don't. Pink Cadillac. <laughs> there we go. Okay. You don't get what's wrong with you. You 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 name me five, and you added some bonuses in there. You don't get what's wrong with you, but you do get negative. Uh, Politics. What I take about politics. Politics. That's it. Politics. politics. You gotta play by your rules. Mm-hmm. Them ain't rules. Okay, the next one. This mm-hmm. is uh Brian McKnight or Babyface. Babyface. You talking right. Okay, you got that one. I wanna throw I wanna throw a bonus in there. Oh, I usually do like Mary versus Faith and then uh, I added an extra but you don't I know you don't get down with that, but I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this one in there. Uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire, or the Ohio Players. 
Both. Okay. I'm not even gonna go there and try to choose both. Ooh. Both. Okay. Yeah. I'm determined. This is the conclusion of the What's Wrong with You game. I have determined there is nothing wrong with Mr. Frank McComb. And for this is a consolation prize we give to our two dollars and thirty five cents. I don't know if you take a malt liquor beverages, but you can get you a, a nice little malt liquor or something at a, a local convenience store. Mm. I give you two dollars thirty five cents. Cash out might take fifty cents for that. Hey, I'm gonna get I'm gonna go get an old school beer. I'm gonna go get an old English 800 or slits my liquor bull. Hey, that's right. I'm gonna say right. on you with that one. Hey, yeah. Right. I'm gonna say Cleveland with you on that. Old English 800. It is the power. It is the power. Old English 800. It is the power. Y'all don't know about that, girl. Y'all don't know about that. Jingle though. Evie, tell her. School, huh, Evie? Jingle. Yeah. Jingle I'm gonna go buy some Wrangler jeans. I'm gonna buy some Wrangler jeans. Here come Wrangler. He's one tough customer, and he doesn't like what he sees. It. We gotta, we gotta get Frank in the studio to record some jingles. Though. Wait a minute. We gotta get you, get you, get some jingles. We gotta, we gotta reboot. There's a lot of reboots happening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> get you know, hey, speaking of Luther, you know, he did Luther did that jingle for the army. I think that was Luther B. All that you can be. I think that was yeah. Luther. Yeah. And he did a yeah. joint. Uh, it's a yeah. pizza spot, Gino's Pizza Gino's. in Baltimore. Luther did mm-hmm. one of them joints too. I think, I think, I think, and I, and I think, uh, and I think, and I think Herbie Hancock, and I think Herbie Hancock did American Airlines. I think that was Herbie. We're American Airlines doing what we there. do best. I think that was Herbie. Oh, wow. I think that was Herbie Hancock. Right. Yep. Listen, yeah. Frank, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule. Man. I know we've been going back and forth for a while. I'm glad that you took time out of your schedule. I know you're busy. We're getting yeah. back out of quarantine. Man, you know, I know I'm trying to. Gigs back and mm. I appreciate it. The one thing you said, like a couple of things uh, in this interview that stood mm. out in terms of uh, what you said about like just being yourself and just just to summarize it, it you, you made me think of what Herbie Hancock said about Miles Davis. Uh, he had like some kind of writer's block and it was always such a, a inspiration to me. He would say like, uh, he would play like the awesome Herbie. Uh, he played the third and seventh notes a lot. And he said uh, he was just having writer's block at one, I forgot where he said it was at, is that a gig? And he said, Miles, told him to quit playing the butter notes and he said from that moment he started to try to branch out creatively and play something else different but I was like they, you made me think of that that quote when you was talking and it's just it's when you said you gotta feel it that's how I feel about music and Rick James that biography it's yeah. hilarious it's yeah. like a lot of different things you know he's doing the drug situation all this stuff <laughs> he became mainstream but he was at the same time right. trying to humor in the book but I could find the seriousness in it he was dropping a lot of serious gems in there about musicians at the yeah. time because he was becoming like what you were saying mm. about becoming bitter he had those little yeah. bitter feelings about why are all these 
artists like I, I came up with this artist, this artist, or whatever. How is it that they're making it mm. for me? Like he would critique it, like he broke down the doors and he would like like not kind of way, it was like I'm critiquing the musicality of it. And so he after he did all that, he had that quote, I need more of uh, funk. I think it's I need more funk in my folk and more fire in my rock. And for some reason, when he said that, it just jumped out. Like I need to feel, yeah. I need to make stuff that makes me feel. Yeah. And so it was one singer that said he's probably uh, on, on <laughs> having a cocaine experience when he said that. <laughs> that was like, you know what might might be true, but either way, it connected with. Yeah. But I think. Right, either way, he knew. Okay. biopics are, are becoming a thing now, and I'm like, if somebody yeah. needs one to drink things because that guy was something special. But thank you so yeah. much for coming on. Yeah. And I think Miles Davis telling Herbie that uh, he, he said a quote um, only a great master can provide a pathway for you to find your own trance and I feel like you're doing that because mm-hmm. I get inspired by wow. you because your whole journey I feel oh, like like I said you. earlier it's my mirror so you were the blueprint that you were the first one that I seen like independently doing their thing and it's I'm wow. sure it's been many of artists and many of musicians that have done it before you you know all your inspirations mm-hmm. but for me like seeing you do it I'm like oh I can do it because he's doing it so Thank you. I appreciate right. it. Oh, wow. Cool. Cool. Uh, let all people know where they can find you on social media. <clears throat> well, uh, go to Frank McComb Music, dot com. FrankMcCombMusic.com. There, it will that will lead you to all my social media. My page. Uh, it leads you to every place. Everything you need to know about me is right there. FrankMcCallMusic.com. Um, follow me on all my socials. And um, if you don't come acting crazy, I might follow you back. <laughs> yeah, follow me on my socials. The only one that I have is, is Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. So, you get the Bitcoin, the Bitcoin you get the crazy uh, people. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm getting all kinds of spam, man. Emails, texts, it's just, oh, yep. Lord, it's overwhelming. So, yeah, we are, we're gonna have, I ain't all, hard to find. And you can get all my music right. on all the digital outlets. So, I, I'm not yes. hard to find. Yeah. We're yep. gonna find, we're gonna have all this on the soulsavage.com page. So, if you wanna follow up Mr. Frank McCombs and keep up with all his uh, ongoing uh, performances and all the details on that, where you can find him if he plays in your city, it will be all on soulsavage.com and the details on the website. So thank you so much for tuning in and we'll be back y'all. Whether you need to be comforted, soothed or relaxed, Soul Savviness got you. The ultimate getaway. You are listening to the sounds of Soul Savviness podcast where we are sure to put your mind, body and soul at ease.